Hey designer, it's Leslie Myrick. I've been in the interior design industry since 2005 and have run Leslie Myrick Art and Design full-time since 2015. Before launching my design firm, I worked for and learned firsthand from two of North America's leading interior designers, Kimberly Selden of Kimberly Selden Design Group in Toronto and Betsy Burnham of Burnham Design in Los Angeles. I have invested well over $60,000 of my own hard-earned money in education, training, private coaching, seminars, trade shows, legal fees, and more. I've also invested about a million hours, probably, in real-life work experience, learning from podcasts and books, and making a ton of mistakes, figuring out how to run a business. But you know what? Mistakes are how you learn. And let's just say I've learned a lot. My degree is in interior design, not business, but I feel like I've earned an MBA in the school of real life. The Badass Biz Bundle is what I wish I had when I was starting out on my own. The business documents, the biz docs, I didn't know I needed, and a kick-ass mentor for biz talks to answer my questions with practical, tactical advice to help me quickly and confidently launch on my own. You can learn more about the Badass Biz Bundle at lesliemyrick.com slash coaching. I cannot wait to be part of your badass business journey. Now, on to the show. Hey, I'm Kate Bendewald. And I'm Leslie Myrick. We're interior designers who've been meeting every Friday for coffee to discuss the ins and outs, ups and downs of running our design businesses and decided to hit the record button. We are designers getting coffee with each other and now you. While some might choose to guard the hard-earned secrets of their design success, we've chosen to support, encourage, and empower one another to be the most kick-ass business owners possible. Welcome to the Designers Getting Coffee podcast, real talk about running your design business with head and heart. Come join the conversation. This is episode 43, five tips to handle uncomfortable money conversations. Good morning, Kate. How are you doing today? Hi. <laughs> <laughs> Good morning. All right. We're just going to start this off by saying, I don't know if it's a full moon or what's going on, but Leslie and I are both in, again, like this really bizarre, punchy mood. We're <laughs> she's giggly AF right now. She's yawning. I, giggling and yawning at the same time is pretty funny to watch. You do actually. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I think you guys know, like we talk a bit before we hit record just to get our ducks in a row and kind of jam for a second and sometimes these conversations devolve into just uh, goofballs I think think we're all feeling a little bit of um I don't know it's just my my good girlfriend say mercury is in retrograde Kate oh (laughs) mercury get it together All I know is I'm trapped in a closet recording and Kate and I are giggling and this is going to be fun because I'm glad because this is an uncomfortable episode. <laughs> so I'm glad yeah, we're in a good I know. Mood I mean, I would explain why I'm punchy. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to yeah. talk about uncomfortable things, having uncomfortable money conversations. And I, it's never happened to me before ever because I'm a perfect <laughs> designer who's never had trouble talking about money. So I have nothing to offer. Totally kidding. Of Said course. no one ever. Kate, yeah. Right. What about you, girl? Uh, I just had one this morning. (laughs) Super cool. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, um, the difficult, okay. Apparently it's difficult for me to talk about anything. (laughs) Let's get it together. Okay. The difficulty around talking about money, I think is really universal with a lot of people like 
us who are natural people pleasers Mm -hmm. and we're in the service industry and we aim to please. And I've never talked to, they're they're very, I don't know. I can't think of a single interior designer who I've talked to who is like 100% bulletproof about, you know, when it comes to talking about money and we talk about money with our clients all the time. I was thinking about just a couple of different scenarios in which you might be talking to a client about money. And some that I thought of was, you know, right off the bat, just in an, in an initial phone call, say that three times fast, say it once (laughs) (laughs) better man than I am. Um, in that initial phone call, talking about your client's budget, you know, um, in my early days of doing this on my own, I would never ask a client what their budget was because yeah. I was just like, we'll figure it out. And um, half the time when I did start asking, clients would be like, I don't know. It's like, shouldn't you tell me? It's like, well, um, do you go to a car dealership and let them decide what level of car you should be buying? <laughs> So anyway, um, talking about budgets, what are some other examples, uh, Leslie, that you can think of? Oh, I've had clients. Oh, I've had, I had a client question in a monthly invoice I sent where she was unhappy with being charged for admin work. And we got, we got into it. I mean, professionally and respectfully, but I mean, it was a serious face-to-face almost cost me the project type of conversation. So yeah, it's tough. Like you were talking about setting expectations early, I didn't do a good job at that time. And then it got weird and uncomfortable. And I had to have that conversation of, yes, we did this service for you. You owe me this money now. Thank yeah. you. So that's yeah. another time that I've had I've, that. I've certainly, I have, uh, that was similar to the conversation that I had this morning. Um, I, but yeah, I've definitely had those conversations before and they're the worst. Yeah. You know what I usually it's, do it's difficult. I have to do it? Drink? A shot of vodka <laughs> or, or bourbon really? better if I have it. Absolutely. I would, that's not a bad idea, a little liquid courage to help. <laughs> and let's just be clear. One of our five tips is not to have a drink. We actually have five real tips to help with these uncomfortable money conversations. But basically, but I guys, we've we, all been there. I think there should be six tips and one should be to take a shot of vodka before you do okay, there, There's your bonus tip for the day. All right. So another is... Um, uh, questioning. So, okay, this is a big conversation that I had and it was actually, it was a big learning moment for me. Um, so we presented the project, a project to a, a client we'd been working with and the way, and I, I do things a little bit differently now in order to talk about budgets with clients. But, um, what had happened is I had an initial, um, client questionnaire that they filled out and there was a question about budgets and there were ranges and she had picked a range. Um, that was prior to the initial consultation, uh, and then our deep dive and all of that. So, um, I didn't used to include a preliminary budget in the concept phase of my design process. And I do now, and that's been tremendously helpful. So at that stage, I, I wasn't putting together an initial budget, um, which I've since learned. So all the only information I had gotten was this range that she had selected, but then we went on to talk and I got her wish list and I kind of, I really understood her quality expectations. Um, and I did the design, you know, I did everything that she asked. I put everything together and I gave everything really realistic budget 
uh, I worked with a realistic budget of nice things. They weren't necessarily luxurious, but it wasn't West Elm, right? It was, sorry, I don't mean to ping a brand or anything. You know, there's a level of that too. And this was a bit higher, higher than that. So in all in all, uh, their total budget was a, you know, ended up being about 20 grand over their ideal budget. Um, (laughs) and I, I had, you know, we did, as we had done the design, we did realize, you know, like, gosh, this is really going to be beyond what their initial expectations were. So we had prepared in advance a couple of um, options for value engineering the project that we presented to them. So we showed up, we said, guys, this is your wish list. This is everything that you want, your realistic prices for everything. And of course, this was, we had picked the exact furnishings and fabric and all that. Um, even though we had prepared them that it was going to be higher than maybe what they were initially expected, we gave them value engineered options and we explained that clients, you know, whenever this happens, usually clients will do a couple of things. They'll either phase it in over time or they'll value engineer and we're giving you some options here. So on top of the value engineered options, I gave them a couple of different ways to approach it. It still shocked the pants off of them. And, um, it surprised me a little bit, but in retrospect, I could really see how they probably expected me to design to their budget versus to design to their wish list. And so I, I had to take a good look at my process after that and recognize that a couple of things, it wasn't enough just to have a drop down menu of a, of a budget, ideal budget. I really needed to have a, a, a more personal conversation. And number two, and these aren't necessarily our tips, but we're throwing it in here. <laughs> um, and I also realized that I needed to do a, a preliminary, you know, proposed budget for their wish list so they could see, okay, before we dive into the details and selections of everything, we're kind of in this ballpark. Are we good? You know, and that's been a big game changer. So as far as talking about budgets, those are, that's kind of how I handle it, but still uncomfortable money conversations come up all the time. Um, and if talking about money is uncomfortable for you, I hope you will listen to <laughs> some of the things that we have had work for us and hopefully they'll, they'll work for you. Yeah. And all of these things, these five tips that we have, have come from experience. These are definitely things that I have learned on the job. And I will say it gets easier. You know, there's a a famous quote. I think it's, oh gosh, I hope I'm not messing this up. I think it's by Lee Cockrell, who was something to do with Disney, something important. I think this is from (laughs) the Well-Designed Business Podcast a million years ago. But I will look this up and we'll confirm it in the show notes. I'm sorry if I'm butchering this completely. But basically, the quote is, when you do hard things, life gets easier. When you do easy things, life gets harder. And all that to say, it is... I know. And it's so true. Like when you avoid the hard conversations, your life gets more and more challenging and you keep running away from these hard things. These are conversations that you have to face head on and learn how to handle them well. This is not something that we're necessarily born with. No one likes having uncomfortable money conversations. This is a hard thing you need to do as a business owner and step up. So I hope these tips will help you guys. And I want to encourage you that it will get easier. Five years ago, I was shaking in my boots, quoting my numbers and asking for money. Now I'm like, here's my proposal. It's going to be expensive. Do you want it or not? Bye. Like, I mean, I'm not that rude, but you know what I mean? Like, I know what it costs to do a job and it is what it is. And here's the number. And anyway, we'll, we'll dive into 
the, the details, but okay. Start us I mean, off, Kate. Yeah. What- well, I mean, I just think the main thing is, you know, to, to not avoid the conversation. Um, and so yeah, it doesn't go away on assemb- its own. <laughs> no, that's doing the easy thing, which makes things harder. It just puts off yeah. the conversation. So, um, yeah. Okay. So the first tip is to stick to facts. Um, and what I mean by that is, let's say, for example, um, a client is questioning an invoice. Um, I have had that happen and I realized that it gives me a lot of feelings, you know, it gives me a lot of (laughs) feelings that are, uh, you know, like, you know, everything from like this person is an idiot. They don't read their contract to, (laughs) they don't appreciate, you know, the, the level of thought and detail that's gone into this. Um, or, you know, just a slew of feelings that come up because I feel all the feels sometimes (laughs) good, bad, and indifferent. And, and so whenever I've had to have, um, difficult money conversations, I will sit and I will write out, okay, what do we know? What are facts? What are things that are unequivocally true that cannot be changed? And, um, it's interesting. There's this book, the whole brain child, which I have read, several times and it's probably time for a refresher, but they talk about the, um, brain in terms of your left and right brain, right? We all know that, Mm -hmm. but then also your upstairs and downstairs brain and your upstairs brain being your, um, thinking clearly, uh, brain and your downstairs brain is I'm having a temper tantrum. Um, but what the science shows that they talk about in that book is that, um, when you're talking to kids and that are feeling a lot of feels and emotions, if you force them to use their language, their words, then they're forced out of their emotional side of their brain, um, and into their logical side of the brain. Um, and so the brain can't function at this in both sides at the same time in your upstairs. You can't be in your upstairs brain and your downstairs brain at the same time. It's one or the other. And so if I'm feeling emotional about a situation that's gotten me frustrated or is concerning, I'm using the part of my brain that is focused on facts and using my language to talk it out. Maybe I'll talk it out with a colleague um, or something like that first that forces me to kind of get rid of those emotions that uh, are coming up for me. So sticking to facts is really important. Um, and that'll help you. And I'm talking too. I would just add to that, like talk about it out loud with somebody that you trust with a mentor, with a colleague, a spouse, um, to kind of think through your, your, uh, facts first before you have the conversation. Yeah. I think that's incredibly important because it's easy for emotion to get tied up in it and taking that time to step back and really look at what are the facts? What are the things that could be proven in a court of law? Like here is the amount outstanding. Here is X, Y, or Z. I love that because it's, it's easy to get swept up and ugh, yeah, good. Great start. So tip number two, I have learned. What is your tip? Oh, this is a hard thing is to pick up the phone these conversations, or I mean, or meet in person, but basically these conversations need to happen with voice, mm-hmm. not by text or email. It is easy to chicken out and want to dialogue in writing when you have, you know, a minute to sit back and think and type, and there's a time and place for that. But 
I think money can get heated easily. And of course, I'm talking about when money's getting awkward. Sometimes there's straightforward things that it's no big deal to communicate by text. But when you can tell something is off or wrong, whether it's on your client's end or yours or both, mm-hmm. get those lady balls and pick up that phone and call oh, that person <laughs> right then and there. I'm going to write a book of Leslieisms, like things that you say over and over <laughs> that just crack me up and I hear it and I'm like, what did she just say? Um, yeah, that's true. And it doesn't even have to be in that situation. First of all, I love that. And I do that. Um, let's use this example too, that maybe your client just emailed you, uh, and gave you their budget. You, you know, maybe you'd ask them, what's your budget for this project? And they came back and you're jaws on the floor. Cause you're like, where am I supposed, what am I supposed to do with that amount of money? Like it's too low. Um, that is a, that I think is a good opportunity to pick up the phone and call someone too. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be a conflict over an invoice or something like that. Um, but you can always follow up with an email that recaps what you talk about, send them resources. If you have a good, better, best list, you know, for example, that you want that you can share with them, um, that, that sort of thing. But I agree with you, Leslie, pick up the phone. And I love your point about following up in writing. I do think that's important. And I think that's why a lot of us default to text or email because then there is a paper trail, as it were. But I have learned talking gets you through things a lot faster. You can communicate empathy and emotion better. And it just, it matters. Try it. (laughs) Pick up the phone. And then yes, absolutely recap in writing so that everyone is clear on what was decided and what next steps will be. Love it. That's a great combo on there. I just thought of another example of an awkward money conversation. Bring it on. I actually recorded this conversation. It was with a painter from years ago. Uh, It wasn't even a client. It was a vendor. And it was the most like baffling situation. It was this, uh, painter who had worked for me for a long time and, and, you know, did a good job, but, um, there was a project and he, we, we have very clear RFPs that we send. There's, there should have been zero question on earth. What was included in the scope of work? Um, and what was to be done? It was in writing in a million places, <laughs> plus yeah. phone conversations and in-person conversations. Um, but anyway, he was questioning, he was like, that was a part of the job and that's going to be more money. And I was like, what are you dying about? Anyway, he had like done like half the job and said he was done. And I was like, you're not done. And I already paid him anyway. So that was a really awkward conversation that we had to, um, have, but you could, if, if it felt like you were in a sticky enough situation where you needed to record something. There are options for that too, but don't let that be a reason that you don't pick up the phone and make a phone call. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I, this is making me uncomfortable. I need a shot of (laughs) vodka. (laughs) You're doing the hard thing, Kate. This is worth it. It's going to make things easier. Okay. So can I just say real quick, I am super excited. Next week we have Jenny Carlson on. She is, she was a money coach for me. Um, and we're going to probably talk more about this next week and dive into it a little bit more. So stick around for that episode. It's going to be so, so, so good. Financials for creatives is her website and she's going to be on next week. But we, we, you know, I did a lot of work with her to, um, help me be better with money. You know, I, I would 
yeah, we'll get into that next week. I can make all the money, but it's like having conversations is really hard. Avoiding it is something that um, I tend to default to at times. And I have to be really diligent about not doing that. So, um, you know, I get it designers. This is, you know, money can be really hard for people. So, yeah. Um, all right. On what are, are we on? Number three we are. All right. So tip number three is to don't take it personal. So think about this for a second. Um, I'm going to use the example again of a client, maybe questioning an invoice. Um, I know my (laughs) instinct is to be like, how dare them, (laughs) you know, like we do amazing work. We do good work. We put our hearts and souls into this work. It's worth so much more than this. You don't appreciate us. And, and I have to just take a step back and be like, well, girl, chill, Kate. Like it's not about (laughs) that. Like they are just, they just simply have a question, like relax. Yeah. And so, um, and I, I've gotten way better about that, um, over the years, but I think the thing that irritated would irritate me the most is like, what do you mean? I have to sit here and like waste more of my time to like go back and read emails and the contract just to make sure I'm right. You know, and I, you like, okay, she did sign that. Right. Yes. Okay. And then I got to make time to have another phone call with you, which by the way is not billable time. Um, it would get me, I would have all the feelings, but then I just started to look at it as, um, just really matter of fact, practical. And it kind of goes back to sticking to the facts is just don't take it personally. Um, allow people to ask you questions about money and just, let be curious, be curious about what, what are their questions? They're curious. It might be that you simply explain something or you remind them of something and they're like, Oh, okay. I get it now. No worries. Cool. Or maybe they, um, kind of bring something new to the table that you hadn't thought about before. And you're like, you know what? I see it. I see what you're saying and and you're right. And let's, let's work something out. Um, so just approaching it from a place of curiosity instead of automatically being defensive about the fact that you may have done something wrong or that they're idiots and they don't know how to read their contracts or whatever the case may be. And I think it just kind of takes the pressure off of you to, you know, get that money. Yeah. I think it's very easy to make it personal, to feel offended or hurt or whatever it might be. And that's a good tip to sort of step back and, you know, this is business. This is a transaction. Mm -hmm. How can you, you know, take the, (laughs) all the hurt feels out of it and just have a grown up conversation about money. And that ties into the fourth point. And I love this one. I've said this quote before, but Kate, you're leading the charge on this one. What is tip number four? Oh yeah. So this is your, the tip is your money story is not your client's money story. And the same is true in reverse. Your client's money story isn't your money story. Yeah, so your client's money well, story is none of your business. Everyone's money story is their own. And, uh, you know, I'll give you an example of what I mean by this. So, um, early on I had a, a very young couple come to me uh, wanting work, um, wanting to help them with their home. And we were about the same age. And I thought to myself, they're not going to be able to afford me. (laughs) They're too young. Well, turns out not only could they afford me, but we did more and more and more work together. They were lovely people. We still stay in touch today. And I have no idea if or how, or like, I don't care if it comes from drugs. I mean, I would care, honestly, but, um, 
I don't know what, you know, I know what they do for a living, whatever. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And, you know, I could see how in an initial consultation, you know, it, it, you could get hung up about your own money story and project that onto somebody else and potentially lose out on a great client. Mm-hmm. Um, certain people with certain occupations, people of, uh, certain, you know, lo- looking up their dress and seeing their house and see and thinking to yourself like, Oh, th- this isn't my client. You know, <laughs> it's like BS, like take again, approach it with just pure curiosity. Um, people of color, um, mm-hmm. you know, there, there's so many, um, prejudice that we have towards people on, you know, all sorts of, in all sorts of different areas, not just race, um, that we can be unaware of and that can creep up. And so, um, trying to get rid of those biases, um, can really help you have a better experience with your, with your client. But, um, you know, I, I think I've mentioned this briefly on the episodes before that, you know, there was a period in our lives growing up where we didn't have much money. Uh, we were homeless, in fact, for a, for a short period of time. And I've had to work through a lot of the, that story there. Um, and very early on, I was really, uh, what's the word? Just, I, I allowed my money story to predict my other, my client's money story. And so if, Mm -hmm. if that's something that you do, um, I, I would say the best way to do that is to just try to be aware of your biases, be aware of your own money story. I hope that Jenny and I, and we'll get to talk about that next time uh, on our interview. Um, and, and just be genuinely curious and aware of your biases to um, start to recognize when that might be happening to you. So yeah. does that make sense? Absolutely. <laughs> I feel like I just <laughs> you know, what's interesting. I was listening to a podcast um, earlier this week with a designer and she was talking about how she kind of vets every client before, you know, deciding if it's worth, a, you know, worth taking on and she'll research the home, the neighborhood, look up the person, find out their job. And I think, I mean, there's some merit to that, but from what, from what I could gather on this interview, she was sort of implying that that's her main deciding factor as to whether like, you know, do I go for a free consultation? Do I just do a call? Like she was kind of using that as a decision maker. And I can tell you, I've worked with some very affluent clients who are shockingly unprepared to invest the necessary amount for a good outcome or for service. And I've worked with, I had this really sweet client in Waco, modest home. Like, I mean, you never in a million years think he would hire a designer. And he invested a ton in new window treatments and a small, like it was minor stuff, but like in proportion to the value of his home, he was spending a lot of money and it kind of blew me away that he was an amazing client. So yes, there are oftentimes neighborhoods and houses and lifestyles and occupations of our kind of ideal clients that seem to align, but there are diamonds in the rough on the lower end that might surprise you. Age is another one that gets me, Kate. I always feel like if someone's younger than me, they can't afford me. And that's not true. I'm not that young anymore. (laughs) (laughs) And also I assume people older than me are more established and have more income, therefore are happy to pay anything. So I I have to get humbled a lot around this and 
your client's money story is none of your business always has to ring in my head because I like to look up the address. I like to have a bit of a sense, but I honestly try to go into every consultation phone call, Mm. like just blind and innocent, like pretending I know nothing and just start to feel out what they're saying and take it from there. Cause it's easy to make assumptions. And I've done that poorly before where I've assumed someone can afford something or has a certain budget. And then it comes back to bite me when I'm maybe not clear or I make assumptions and they're like, whoa, Nelly, why is this so expensive? What is going on? So you, I love that. You just said so many things and I I had two things came up for me just now. Uh, I hope I can keep track of both of them (laughs) before we dive onto the next one. Um, the, the same is true in reverse. I have had extraordinarily wealthy clients, uh, come to me and want to work with me and have a very long wish list in a shockingly small budget. And I'm like, yep. you have got to be kidding me. It was like, <laughs> you have several multi-million dollar homes and you want to try to refurnish this entire house for how much money? <laughs> you know? yep. And so the same can go in reverse. Um, and gosh, I lost my train of thought on the other one. Maybe it'll come back to me, but, um, anyway, yeah. yeah. That, that I like be- to be surprised. Is how I'm I'm kind of learning that. Yeah. I know. I know what I was going to say. I have talked to you guys before about my experience working with Kendrick Shope, who is a sales consultant. And I've gone back and forth on my initial questionnaire, whether I include a a budget range or not, and ask them to answer that. And when I first started working with her, I did have that on there. Um, But what ended up happening, she recognized was that I would allow that budget to determine, uh, oh, they don't, they're not going to have enough money to do what they want to do. Um, if they selected that, well, a, that was my fault for putting in too small budget numbers, Yeah. (laughs) but, um, it, it put, it pre, it gave me preconceived ideas about what they could or could not afford before we even got on the phone call with them. And so it made for the sales conversations as initial conversations to be really awkward. And so she said, you know, even if you just do it for a little while, take that question off, just go into it without knowing anything and get a sense, just assume that they can afford it. Just and you, you're talking about this question, like on a client comes to your website and they want to book yes. an initial phone call. Okay. Cause I was going to say beyond that, when I actually, when we've started a project, I will ask more, but you're saying right off the bat, yep. don't do it. I fully support you on that. I uh, used no. to have drop Hold downs. Oh, Sorry. I went back to, I went back to putting it in there and I do now, but I keep the ranges are very, very, very broad. So we're just talking like, yes. Oh, I like that. Yeah. uh, So here's what I had done before while you're looking that up. So I had done like, you know, five to 10, 10 to 20, like they were too specific and too small. But then when I made my minimum 25,000, I had clients email me separately and be like, uh, Mm -hmm. I don't have that much budget or I just didn't know. And I found people would tick something off just because they had to, and it wasn't really moving the project forward. It wasn't really giving Mm -hmm. me information. So I don't include it at all. And we, we talk about it on that initial phone call. So what does yours look like right now, Kate, on your website? We do. Yeah. So we do talk, I just say talk about it early and often. Um, I do have the question on my initial contact questionnaire. It's funny. I actually just did an, uh, cause it's coming up. I kept having questions about questionnaire. So I just did a post, a blog post about the questionnaire and I have this information in there. Like when do I ask about budgets? But I do have, 
uh, in-person conversations too. So I, my ranges just to put it in, you know, as an example, is 25 to a hundred thousand is the first range. So that's, Whoa, a, that's, that's a, a huge range. Yeah. That's a huge range. So we'll dial it in. Right. <laughs> but they at least know like 25 is my starting place for anybody that wants to work with me. The next is a hundred to 250, 250 to 500. We're talking thousands of dollars and then half million to a million and then a million plus. And then the last one is I have no idea. <laughs> so I do I'm guessing a- most people check that box. Or do they mostly um, no. check 25 to 100? Um, I've only had this back in there for a few weeks now, but I've had the early, the first one and the second one, the 100 to 250,000. Um, nice. So then I have, and it's required to answer that question because there is the, I have no idea option. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, re- it's required on the first questionnaire. And then it's again on the second one that they get. And we have a phone uh, and we have a, a conversation about it. So early and often I ask you're practicing in, what you preach. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. So I, I, you know, usually in that initial discovery call, I have, I've seen their budget. I've talked to them a little bit. It's probably too soon for me to establish. Most of the time it's too soon for me to establish, you know, does that amount kind of fit what their needs are and what they're talking mm-hmm. about once we have the initial consultation, that's, I have way much more. I have, I cannot talk today. Y'all way much more, (laughs) way more information that I can start to help them and say, you know, guys, um, I get, this is a a generous amount of money. And I, and I realize this is a lot of money for you. It certainly would be for me. Um, I, I think that we might need to look really closely. I don't know that this amount of money matches your wish list. So that's a really common phrase to, um, that I use to talk about money when it comes to budgeting. Can I just, I just had this random thought to, I love the way Nate Burgess and Jeremiah Brent talk about money on their show. Um, Nate and Jeremiah by design. I remember watching a couple of episodes of, of theirs and, um, they're both just so empathetic and I, I adore those two. So they, um, if you can watch that show, I think it was on TLC or something like that. Um, just go watch it and pay attention to how they talk to their clients about money. Cause they do a really good job of doing it in a way that is very respectful of, of their clients without making them feel, you know, like they don't have enough. So yeah, that's great. All right. We have one more, right? We do. Tip number five, when you're having an uncomfortable money conversation is to state the number without emotion. It is mm-hmm. easy to make it personal, to get caught up in their money story, to get caught up in emotion. And it is so important to practice this and train yourself to basically state the, the amount as easily and emotionless as you'd order dinner at a restaurant. Like, you know, you would just say it. You wouldn't, okay, well, um, for dinner, I'd like the spaghetti and meatballs. Is that, is that okay? Like, no, you don't do that with money. And this sounds so silly, <laughs> and it is, but it's fun. Practice Instead of take, take the word dollars out. We don't talk about dollars right now. Practice with something silly like chickens. The outstanding amount is 5,000 chickens. It's 5,000. <laughs> it's just 5,000, 5,000 chickens. And it, it sounds crazy, but I'm telling you, if you can just get used to saying this big number and not have it be something that overwhelms you with its magnitude, mm-hmm. it will get easier. Get comfortable saying the number in advance. It is just a number. 
Don't apologize for it. It's just a number. Whether you're giving a proposal, whether you are discussing an outstanding invoice with a client, there's, you know, of course, there's a time and a place for empathy and communicating in a way that is sensitive to the situation, but that does not mean you have to bend over backwards and apologize because they have not paid a bill for services rendered that you have agreed to. Yes, client, the amount outstanding is 5,000 chickens. It's, it, it, it's fine. It's just 5,000 chickens. And of course, replace that with dollars <laughs> when you get there. But that has helped and it, it takes practice. But when you think about it as dollars, like the amount owing is $5,000. Like, oh my gosh, that's a ton. But you know what? That's emotion. Even mm-hmm. saying that to yourself, that's a ton of money. It's a drop in the bucket to some people. It's not a lot of money to others. So try to neutralize it and take the emotion out of the number. It is just a number. It's like chickens or spaghetti and meatballs. It's just a thing and you can say it and move on. Well, and I think that everything's up for negotiation too. Like some yeah. things are, you know, there are some things that are not up for negotiation, like your rate, um, your hourly rate, for example. Um, but there, I've mentioned this before. There was a class on, um, that I took here on, um, it was an acting crew that taught business women how to use their voices and how to, you know, be more commanding with their voices um, and authentic. Cause as women, we tend to li- often land our sentences like this and it really takes away your authority when you aren't landing your sentences like this. Agreed. And if it's really placing the emphasis on the, the tone of your voice, especially at the end, making sure that you take any question out of it. And it, sometimes I would, so when I was taking this class, I would practice, you know, landing my sentences always so that I'm not, unless it's a legitimate question, <laughs> you know, that saying in a tone of voice, so it's very matter of fact mm-hmm. and it takes practice. I imagine you can probably find some YouTube videos out there that can teach you yes. how to, you know, pay attention to the inflections in your voice. So, um, yeah, love I it. love so, that. Chickens. <laughs> It'll be 5,000 chickens. The amount outstanding is 5,000 chickens. Would you like to write a check or should I send you an invoice for credit card payment for your 5,000 yeah. chickens? <laughs> yeah. So, okay. I'm going to quickly recap our five tips to handle uncomfortable money conversations. Number one, stick to the facts. Number two, pick up the phone. Number three, don't make it personal. Number four, your money story is not your client's money story. And number five, state the number without emotion. Any final thoughts, KB, before we dive into our cool things for the week? No, that I'm glad this episode's over. I'm tired of talking (laughs) about money. (laughs) Well, girl, this is just the start. Season four is all about money. I know. know. This is the hard thing that it's going to make life easier. And I think there's a lot of people who need this door opened to have these conversations yeah. and to learn more. So I hope we can, we can be those people for you that are doing the hard things and teaching you <laughs> the hard yeah. ways we've learned. Well, we can't like do the work said. for you, but we can yeah. help give you the tools and tips to do it. Yeah. I had a friend, um, Whitney text me, shout out to Whitney Walker at Farrington Lane. Check her out. She's got beautiful designs and a gorgeous Instagram feed. Um, she asked me one time and I hope, Oh gosh, I hope it's okay that I'm saying this, but she was like, does it ever get easier? You know, to, to have these many conversations. And I said, honestly, I don't think it does. You know, like it was 
hard for me to send those initial proposals to clients that at the time felt really high for me now. And if I were to send mm-hmm. those today, they would be laughable, but my rate's gone up, you know? So sending those You proposals, charge more chickens now. <laughs> so, you know, now when I send a client a proposal, you know, and it's for 40, 50, $60,000 worth of design services, um, it's uncomfortable still today, but I do it because that's my job. And yeah, next time I'm going to try and insert chickens into it. And say, <laughs> <laughs> you don't actually say chickens to a client. Oh, this is, okay. this is role playing. Got it. Got it. Thanks for clarifying. You're um, welcome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I, I hope that for most people it, it does get easier, but I think yeah. your stakes are going to get higher, you know, as you mm-hmm. grow and you new expand. level, new devil. You're so, you heard that little, before? you're so full of Thank little catchy you. phrases. Yes. But it's Don't true. See her face. She's just glowing right now. I'm so <laughs> pleased with myself. I want to think, I think that came from Denise Duffield Thomas, who does what? a lot of work with money stuff. I love following her, but she says that a lot. New level, new devil. It doesn't get easier. It gets new different. Level, new you're, devil. you're at a new level and there's going to be something else, some sort of block, some sort of obstacle that you have to overcome. So... Right. That, that, I love like, it. Don't, new level, don't new feel level. like there's ever going to be like an arrival with this where you're like, I'm good. Everything's easy. Counting all my chickens. Improve. Yeah. It, you, yes. it does, you can improve. I don't, you know, I don't, I no longer negotiate things that I used to negotiate. I no longer, you know, I send invoices with a great deal more confidence than I used to. Um, but there's still always that little bit of like, oh, yeah, <laughs> feeling of course. just, just get used to it. Are there any books that you would recommend uh, on this topic? Oh, I should have planned ahead with this and I'm not at my desk, but let me think. Okay. If we're talking about Denise Duffield Thomas, Get Rich, Lucky Bitch is one of her books. <laughs> Great money title. mindset book for entrepreneurs. Yeah. Um, oh gosh, I know there's tons. Oh, Barbara gonna... Stanny is a great author Ooh. for money related stuff. Um, Can I jump in? Yeah. I've, I've said this book a hundred times and I just did a blog post on my essential books list and it's worth every penny. Build a business that thrills your customers and still charge what you're worth by Sarah Petty and Aaron Verbeck. Um, that's the number one on my list. I said, if you only read one book on this list, make it this one. I love it. It's a quick, easy read too, by the way. Yeah, it's a good one. Oh, one I don't want to forget is Jen Sincero, You Are a Badass at Making Money. Yeah, you've talked Great about book. that one a number of times. I okay. love her. Great resources. Mm-hmm. Cool. Okay, are we ready to talk about these are a few of my favorite things? Yes. I didn't know we had a song now. (laughs) What's one cool thing you've discovered this week? Okay. So I feel like by the time this episode airs, this is going to be a little bit out of date, but I'm going to say it anyway. So it's the Black Interior Designers Network. Um, Yes. So this organization is doing some amazing, amazing stuff and so imperative. Um, It's very timely, Um, but a couple of ways that you can support them. Number one, go follow them on Instagram. They're putting out really great content. Um, And I, I, the work that they're doing is so important. Um, So go follow them on Instagram, considering donating to them. So they do have, um, let me just pull it up real quick because I don't want to miss, I don't want to misspeak. I know that they're doing a fundraising campaign now with a specific dollar amount and purpose for that money in mind. Yes, it's a quarter million and it's the BIDN donation fund. So it's the Black Interior Designers Donation Fund. I donated. They are such a cool organization. Um, And third, if you are a Black Interior Designer, consider joining their membership. I'm assuming that's part of the requirement. I don't know. But they have a membership that helps support the Black Interior Design community and just really great organization. So thank you guys. Shout out to you. You're all doing fantastic work in this industry that is much, much needed. 
Love it. Yeah, I agree. They're super cool. My cool thing is in a similar vein. I know, like Kate said, by the time this episode actually comes out, this might be old news. And I've already shared this on my Biz Tip Monday email newsletter. So if you're not on that, go get on that because it's awesome. You get info from me every Monday. But one thing that's been really helpful for me right now with navigating all the new conversations and climate about race is author Layla Saad. She has a great book. You've probably heard of it lately called Me and White Supremacy super, it's written for white, white folk like myself, super tactical, direct, here's how to do the work to be a better ally of people of color. And then she also has a really great podcast called Good Ancestor Podcast, where she interviews people of color, white people, lots of creatives, and they just sort of share about how they are working on becoming good ancestors, how they're going to be people who Mm. make a positive mark. And it's, it's been really good. It's, It's very eye-opening because I very, like, if you've seen me, I'm a white chick. Most of my world is with that. I live, you know, that it just is what it is. And I'm really trying to be conscious of expanding that Mm. and not just staying in my bubble. And it's been a really great podcast to listen to. I love hearing from her, her perspective and her guests, but, and she's, you know, Glennon Doyle was on one of her episodes. I can't think of other people offhand people. Most of the people I hadn't heard of, I think save for Glennon Doyle, but, um, yeah. Oh, Rachel Cargill. I haven't listened to that one yet. And she's someone else I'm following on Instagram. Anyway, go check it out. Podcast. I am excited to check out that podcast. I know I just got white fragility, which is Mm -hmm. that's next on my reading list. Good read too. Okay. So good ancestor podcast. I am pumped. Yeah, man. Thanks for sharing. Sweet. All right, guys. Uh, that is it for today. If you enjoyed this episode, if you wouldn't mind, go over to iTunes or what are they calling it now? Apple Apple Podcast. Podcast. All right. Yes. You guys um, all know what we mean when we say iTunes. Go we, there. <laughs> we very much appreciate all the love and support that we have gotten recently. Um, don't forget, we do Q&A episodes every 10 episodes. So if you have questions or topic ideas specifically that you want us to answer on the air, um, go to our website, designersoasis.com. Designersgettingcoffee.com. I'm so sorry, you guys. <laughs> that was a real plug for myself, but it was obviously uh, just a misspeaking. But anyway, yeah, designersgettingcoffee.com. <laughs> Yeah. Contact page. There's a way to submit questions for Q and A's and episode ideas. We want your ideas. We want your specific questions. Um, and yeah, so that's it. Anything else? No, while you're there, you can download the free, uh, mini business toolkit after you, um, do all the things. (laughs) Yeah. And thank you for doing all the things. We appreciate having you here. Thank you for listening. We're so happy to be back. I know we're a few episodes in now from our break, but we're glad you're here. Happy Friday. Bye. Bye. Hey, designer. Thanks for sharing part of your day with us. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts so we can continue to connect with badass design bosses like you. We love to hear your feedback and are so grateful that you're sharing the show with your designer friends. For more Designers Getting Coffee and to join the conversation, head over to designersgettingcoffee.com for show notes, free downloads, and more. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at designersgettingcoffee.